0: Hello everyone. Delighted to be here today, which is September 20th, 2020. My guest today is Dr. Arjun Ghosh. He is a consultant cardiologist at Arts Heart Centre London and at University College London Hospital. He's the first consultant cardiologist in the UK to be appointed specifically in cardio oncology. Arjun, it's such a pleasure to have you here with us today. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks a lot, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here to get the opportunity to speak to you and to your listeners.
0: Well, thank you so much. A couple of other wonderful facts about Arjun. Dad, husband, also Gunners fan. Yesterday, they had a wonderful strike, I think, in the 80th minute to to win the match. Is it something like that, Arjun?
1: Even later than that. I think it was 85th. Okay.
0: Well, great news to you and your fellow Gunner fans. Again, So excited to discuss your kind of leadership journey. I know you've been a consultant physician for just over three years now, and delighted that we got connected about a year ago through a leadership development program through the British uh, Cardiology Society. What if we start there for a second and just touch on some of the program, a little bit of the coaching, what you recall about that, and and what your experience was with that?
1: Sure. Sure. So we have this program in the UK, which is uh, run by the British Cardiovascular Society for newly appointed consultants and senior trainees in cardiology. And this is modeled on a similar program that the American College of Cardiology run. And this was actually a joint program. Ours was the first year last year. I was part of the cohort. The aim of the program was really to develop leadership skills in uh, the new generation, as it were as part of that uh, there was a opportunity to have coaching sessions uh from you and really the the purpose of that i think was to explore our leadership styles and then to kind of build upon that um to become more effective leaders the the interesting thing i think um, was that I was a a skeptic. I think the the coaching process and the acceptance of coaching is at a much higher level in America. I think a lot of people find this to be pretty normal or routine part of their developmental process. Uh, In the UK, much less so especially, uh, I would say, in medicine. So when I um, was uh, told that we were going to have these coaching sessions as part of the the Emerging Leaders Program, I I wouldn't say that I was skeptical, but I wasn't really sure how useful it would be. I must say I was uh, extremely surprised at the results. Um, So we had around uh, four sessions where Uh, We really had, you know, we we had incremental growth in what we were talking about. We we explored a number of um, areas, uh, looking at what my goals were professionally, what uh, I wanted to achieve as a medical leader. And I was actually very grateful to the uh, BCS and ACC and also, of course, to you, Jim, that uh, this program was set up. Because uh, I think I personally benefited from the, the sessions that we had, both in a professional level and also surprisingly on a personal level, because a lot of the, the things we sometimes forget that affect us in our professional lives have got impact uh, on our personal lives and our well-being as well. And I think one of your main kind of areas of interest is because of physician burnout and, um, you know, trying to prevent that. And I think that, uh, you know, work-life balance, all of these things are very interconnected.
0: Oh, yeah. Great thoughts there, Arjun. And thanks again for your candor and willingness to go through the process. It was, again, such a delight to get to know you and hear some of your perspectives. Taking that a little further, the last point about burnout, resilience, wellness, Boy, who knew that in the last year there would be so many changes, you know, not least of which were COVID and the pandemic. That turned our lives upside down. And then I understand that really turned your family upside down, right? Because you and your wife both contracted COVID. Tell us a a little bit about how you got through that, if I understand correctly. You also kept a diary, your kind of COVID diaries. What would you say the experience was like going through that in your family because you have small kids too and uh what do you take away from that looking back it was just a few months ago
1: yeah i mean i wish i could kind of look back at it as a distant memory but unfortunately you know for us for you for around the world COVID is still very much with us at that time um we're talking about around march april was kind of the the height of um, the the effect of COVID in the UK. It was interesting that you know I I have you know me- medical friends across the world. I was just seeing how parts of the world which were being affected earlier, the effect that COVID was having on their day-to-day lives and also on their mental health. Then I saw those kind of same effects uh, happen to me. And then I saw those same things happen to others where COVID was hitting, you know, maybe four weeks later, where the peak happened uh, a little bit after in the UK. So, So for me personally, there were big changes because in the UK, Most people kind of stopped doing their own specialty. So I stopped doing cardiology. I was just doing general medicine because, you know, there were no cardiology patients anymore. They were all COVID patients, really about 95% of patients. Unfortunately, in the course of that, you know, I contracted COVID. COVID. Before that, my wife had COVID, but it was mild. Um, you know, she, she was unwell for a few days, but it wasn't wasn't too bad. But for me, I was pretty unwell for around two to three weeks. You know, as, as you say, you, you always have the fear at that time of, you know, whether you're going to end up as one of these uh, statistics, another medical worker who, you know, dies due to COVID. And I think that I probably had that fear more before I was um, actually infected. I mean, when I was infected, I was unwell, but thankfully, I didn't have to go into hospital. But I think probably I it was more the fear of the unknown before when it first started. And, um, you know, you were reading in the news, um, you know, people dying. And I think, you, you get numb to it a little bit later when the death toll in medical workers is 50 and then 100. When it's one, two, three, four, then it's really scary because that's all that's on in the news. And that's all that everyone is you know talking about. Um, so, yeah, there were big changes, uh, I think, for me personally. But I think for, for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people went through a very similar situation. But thankfully, you know, I, I managed to get through it. My wife got through it um, and my family are fine. And, um, you know, I, I wrote a diary for my, uh, a publication for my school, my old school uh, magazine. Uh, and uh, they really wanted insight of people who were on the front line helping in the fight against COVID. And um, it really helped. It was quite cathartic to try and, you know, put it all to paper and just recall what had happened and and the positive side as well of helping patients and uh, getting through this process i as i said i only wish that there was no second wave and we had a vaccine and all of these things but uh, you know the, we have to be positive yeah
0: for sure well that's a lot and again delighted that you and your wife are okay now and your family uh, is okay do you notice that it that experience impacts the way you deliver
1: care differently by any chance uh, so i think that It makes you more aware of um, the impact COVID can have on somebody who is apparently, you know, young, healthy, with no comorbidities. And also, while I thankfully didn't have any long-lasting, I didn't have any of the long-lasting effects. There is a clear understanding now that unfortunately for many people, COVID, even six months after recovery, can still cause, you know, effects in terms of their exercise capacity. It can have effects in terms of um, short-term memory, even in terms of, um, you know, walking and coordination. So uh, it definitely makes you, I think, more compassionate, in that regard, in, in the sense that you're open to these kind of long-standing effects of, of the symptoms. And when a patient tells you about that, you know, you, you are uh, very open to understanding how uh, it is affecting them. Mm.
0: Well, thanks for that observation, that first hand observation. If you would, just say a little bit more then about, you have family in India. You have obviously have family in the UK. You saw the impact as the virus spread from continent to continent there was a bit of cognitive dissonance that we discussed earlier, right? You see it, you saw it, you felt it, and then you were you know, in England a month ahead of other places. What, what was that like in trying to, to sound the alarm and others may not have been feeling the urgency and impact?
1: Yeah, I think that that was probably one of my biggest I think take home messages with the the whole COVID thing. When you kind of look at the cycle of say a bad event or grief, you have the you know the denial phase, and then there's a phase of anger and acceptance and all of these things. And I think that when it first hit uh, China and Italy. Um, I was speaking to uh, medical colleagues in Italy, uh, you know, is it as bad as it's shown in the TV and in the papers? And they were like, yeah, it is as bad. Even though I knew that Italy was maybe two, three weeks ahead of the UK, and it was coming to the UK, um, there was still, is it going to come? Is it going to be as bad? You have all these kind of positive things, and you, you don't dismiss it, or you don't ignore it, but you have a Probably you try and make yourself feel better by thinking that you know it will not be as bad. When it did hit, you had all the kind of negative experiences and the fear of you know for yourself or your your family for the you know the country as a whole. It was interesting at that time when I was talking to other kind of family members and lots of doctors in India. Uh, and just saying, you know, what was happening. It was very interesting to note that they were kind of at the same stage I was when um, I was talking to Italian doctors. They kind of thought that, okay, something is happening. It may come here or it probably will come to India as well, but maybe it won't be that bad or we might be able to deal with it. And the, the lack of realization of the potential impact just wasn't there. And then I did see that when it did hit India quite badly, they they went through exactly the same feelings I had gone through, um, you know, the, the kind of feelings of, you know, hopelessness and, uh, you know, being overwhelmed by this, you know, tsunami of, um, you know, COVID. And again, uh, the the same feelings that I'm kind of noticing in myself now that we are getting a second peak, you know, you do see these things um, potentially happening again uh, in other places. It was very interesting just to kind of observe these feelings in a semi-detached way. I mean, although I was experiencing them personally, I, I kind of knew what was happening and to see exactly the same feelings play out in the same order, just with the difference of time, you know, a few weeks later was pretty interesting. Um, I mean, predictable maybe from a theoretical point of view, but it's always um, somewhat different when you see it happen to you and to others and you go through the practical experience.
0: For sure. Again, you had a very unique early perspective and all of this then hints toward leadership. What can you and your colleagues do as consultant physicians, not only in your community, again, you're part of so many uh, societies, national and international. Let's shift a little bigger picture then. Well, two things. One was we had the pleasure to, just a minute ago, take a look at some, some goals that you had laid out for yourself a year ago in comparison to today. So maybe we could comment on what you've noticed in, let's say, your own perspective and or leadership in a year. The second is, again, leadership, big picture, noting what you just shared with us that this tsunami is coming, You know what kind of leadership skills I guess were really important then and now?
1: Sure, thanks, Jim. I think that's a very um, interesting question actually, and maybe, again, it's not something I would necessarily reflect on myself, but talking to you and again, like the coaching process itself, just very helpful to kind of make you think about these things and and uh, how, how it's maybe changed perspectives. So I think that if I, if I look at the leadership aspects of things, I think different societies that I personally am involved with, they do have a role uh, in COVID or any new kind of, uh, you know, pandemic or any emergency situation to educate members and also educate the public. And I think that, you know, there needs to be uh, strong leadership in the sense that there needs to be a unified message. It needs to be a clear message. You need to make it as unambiguous as possible. It needs to be something that uh, does resonate with people. It cannot be too abstract. So there are a lot of different kind of pointers, um, you know, clear and concise also. I think it comes down to something that, a lot of things in life comes down, uh, comes down to ultimately is communication. So I think if the communication is not clear, and this is from, you know, high levels of leadership to middle levels and lower levels, and then outside of the organization, I think that's when, you know, there's the biggest issue. I think if the communication is clear, if people understand the message, I think that is the, the, the biggest, you know, attribute any good message can have.
0: So great point about messaging. So obviously getting the message out consistently, clearly. One of the things that I recall that was important for you, we don't have to go into the specifics, but you had some kind of strategic objectives for self, goals for self. You touched earlier on burnout and wellness. Tell us a little more then as we begin to wrap up today, how you notice you've evolved. Yes, you have your professional objectives and there were some other things that I think you noticed about self.
1: Sure. So I think one of the benefits I got from the coaching process, which I mentioned before, was trying to look at the bigger picture and how there is an interplay between your professional and personal life. And again, this talk that we'd had previously about work-life balance. So I think compared to a year ago, I would say that I'm probably in a better place now, both professionally and personally. I've had a number of um, professional achievements in cardio-oncology you know, recently been appointed a fellow of the International Cardio-Oncology Society, which I'm very pleased about. But also personally, uh, I've managed to kind of shift the work-life balance a little bit uh, in a positive direction, uh, more towards life and spending a bit more time with the family and trying to kind of better understand um, the needs of, of the family. And also how that, uh, you know, they are also intertwined with my own personal. Personal needs. You know, we only kind of grow together as a group when it comes to, you know, the, the family. And, um, you know, it has to be a combined effort. So I think, you know, uh, the coaching process actually did help me with achieving some of this.
0: Great. So congratulations on uh, that most recent achievement, looking at the the certificate, uh, fellow of the International Cardio-Oncology Society. So bravo to you. Do you want to add a few more words about that perhaps what does the future look like from that perspective for you because you are truly unique in that regard you know having been the the first one appointed in this specialty there in the UK
1: yeah so i think it's it's always exciting when you're involved in something new i you know got into cardi oncology because it was an area of uh, cardiology which involved some of the bits in, of cardiology i was training in so it was a nice mix of heart failure and imaging because it was new the opportunities were, were very very broad in terms of both clinical practice research opportunities leadership opportunities i really felt that uh, this was somewhere where i could excel i was very lucky to be appointed as the first consultant specifically in this you know subsequent to that i, I did develop a number of uh, leadership roles I was appointed the lead for education for the British Cardio-Oncology Society. I'm also on the education committee for the um, International Cardio-Oncology Society and involved in a number of leadership initiatives in cardio-oncology with ESC and ACC. So I really felt that this was an an area where even as a new consultant, uh, somebody newly appointed, because the field was new, because the field was fresh, there would be a degree of uh, openness and allowing new blood to come in, as it were. Yes, I'm very happy in, uh, in that regard to, to have these opportunities.
0: Well, again, congratulations on that. And I know some of these these things were part of your goals a year ago. Closing thoughts, what makes a great leader today, Arjun?
1: COVID has really shown us both, I guess, in a leadership and in a political uh, perspective that uh, you need a clear message. Um, so I think communication clear message, clear vision, and a, a strategy to put that into action. That, that is the, the paramount, or those should be the paramount attributes of a leader of today.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for spending time with us today. My best to you, to your wife, family, of course, continued success to the Gunners. Thanks for your time today, Arjun. Great to see you.
1: Thanks so much, Jim. It was a pleasure.